Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, my friend, and welcome to Catch Up with Louise Makshari. If it's your first time, welcome, welcome, welcome. I hope you enjoy what is about to follow. If it is not your first time, thank you for coming back. Thank you to everyone for being so sound to me uh, last week when I was sick and I couldn't put out an episode. I felt terrible about it, um, but I got lovely feedback on the uh, All Together Now uh, panel that I shared last week, and I really appreciated that. I am better, thank God. I can eat again. I'm <laughs> a normal person my god that dose I had was the worst like I like it was it was bad it was because I I mean it was bad okay it was just bad 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 um but I am back thank you uh thankfully in the nearly the fullness of my health and um we've got a great episode lined up for you today you're gonna get a double dose of even more because she is the interview this week because of course her book the long game inside Sinn Féin launched recently it was the number one best-selling non-fiction book in the country last week which is very exciting and very deserved she worked so hard on this book and I really enjoyed the chat that you're going to hear with her about this, her area of expertise. Um, it is always nice to talk to someone who really knows what they're talking about. And obviously you hear me and Aoife talk every week, but um, this is a different kind of conversation. But other than that, we will talk about the celebs. We'll talk about Ashton and Mila. What are they doing? And there's lots of good stuff coming up. But before we get into the news catch up, just want to remind you that there are two live shows on sale at the moment. One is in Limerick on the 18th of October. Um, very much looking forward to going to Limerick. Haven't done a show in Limerick before. So Limerick people, please represent. I'm always like every single time I announce one of these shows I'm terrified that I am just going to be on my own in in the theater well I won't be on my own obviously my guests will be with me but tickets are on sale now um I will be in Dolan's warehouse on Wednesday the 18th of October and then also on sale currently is tickets for the everyman in Cork uh, where I will be on Thursday the 1st of February so it's St. Bridget's Day very excited about that um, and I think we're going to have a really good time and um, so far everybody seems to have really enjoyed the shows I know people who've come to more than one already which is really nice I, I, I really do my best to show you a good time um, and it's always nice to get out isn't it so links to those tickets are in the show notes also don't forget I love 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 to hear from you about the things that we discuss on the podcast or indeed if there's something else that you just want an opinion on or you have thoughts on, please do share it with us via the pod phone at 089 209 6423. That's 
089-209-6423. Everything, comments, concerns, feedback, it's all welcome there. And um, I do respond to all of those once a month on the Patreon in a mailbag episode, which is one of my favorite things to do every month. Um, And then aside from that on the Patreon, you get other extra content um, and you get a culture episode every month where I watch and discuss or read and discuss or listen and discuss uh, some new kind of cultural thing with a relevant guest. Uh, So yeah, there you go. Now though, let's get into it because there is much to discuss and we need to catch up on the news. Well, it's the first half of a even more double bill today. (laughs) (laughs) As we discuss the week's news stories. I was actually thinking, I was like, why have we not put the Danny Masterson thing on the news list, but then are you doing that in entertainment? Yes, don't worry. It's in there. I I listened to three podcasts about it on the way down the road. I know, yeah, myself and James. I hate him so much. Yeah, he's a scumbag. Also, now, Mila and Ashton, over. Just, well, they just made a very bad decision, didn't they? Anywho, anyway, we do have loads more of news about to bad talk decisions. about. It's on the RTE. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we had a bit of a lull in RTE stuff for a while, uh, but it is <gasps> back. When this podcast comes out, it's Paddy Kilty Day. Yes, that's also in the entertainment slot. Oh, shit. <laughs> You're very excited, obviously. Yeah, I'm very excited. Yeah. Okay, so RT, we're up in front of the Iraqis committee again this week. We hadn't seen them in a while. The new chief executive, Kevin Backhurst, sorry, director general, Kevin Backhurst, said that uh, on Tuesday he emailed all the staff and he said that RT is introducing a recruitment freeze with immediate effect, stopping all discretionary spend to preserve cash while we get clarity on our financial position going forward. Uh, this is all to do with the fact that we have hired a lot from government that they are concerned about how RTE manages their finances. Mm. We heard before the doll went on the recess that Kevin Backhurst was not ruling anything out. Um, that's when we had all that mad kind of chaos about selling mm. um, Montrose and all of that. But he said that in the face of the decline in revenue from the TV license, which we know a lot of people are not paying their TV license anymore, mm. this is what they have to do. So... Uh, the chair, Shuyan Nirahali, and a number of others all appeared in front of the committee. And they basically had to account from everything for from Toy Show the Musical to the fact that you can get a car allowance, Louise, but Without you don't car. need to be able to drive. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there are ongoing concerns now about how the fact, yeah, I'm just looking at, you know, Imelda Monster said that the executive board are looking for a bailout. They're constantly crying poverty. And from a transparency point of view, they have failed their first test. Um, the number, another issue that the RG has long had is the one of bogus self-employment. Mm. So 700 members of staff are not considered staff. Mm-hmm. They're considered self-employed. Mm-hmm. So like, I think most people um, that would be surprised to know that a lot of their favorite favorite faces on RT aren't actually RT staff. Well, I was there for 11 years consistently and I was never staff. Oh, no way. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we also works. heard that the publishing of the 100 top earners caused some, um, what's the right word? Consternation. Consternation within RT um, that they didn't want. Um 
that they didn't want their wages put out, which to be honest, I can sort of see through as well. But I suppose when you work for a state company, that's what happens. Mm. Um, the Taoiseach then said that he would not put, or the government would not put RT under any pressure to get rid of Montrose in Dublin 4. And he said that they would not be making any demands of that nature. Um, they've already sold some of the site at Montrose and he thinks there's a school site going there as well. And he said it looks already like, the Taoiseach said that RT Director General Kevin Backhurst has already begun making tough decisions and he urged people to continue to pay their TV licence not just because it's the law because it funds broadcasting in Ireland and not just RT funds private broadcasters as well content creators children's programming Irish language programming Mm. and it's important for the regions as well Uh, Micheál Martin said that he was quite concerned about this, there's this con- conversation started about whether Ryan Tuberty should repay the €150,000 he received as part of the Reynolds deal. Um, Micheál Martin said he had uh, discomfort about the notion of a moral case. The Tuberty had a moral case to repay it. He said that he doesn't believe, and Kevin Backhurst as well said that there was... A, Kevin, sorry, Kevin Backhurst said that he felt Tuberty had a moral case mm-hmm. to repay the money. And Michal Martin said, I'm not entirely comfortable with how all of that has been dealt with by RTE. And I think the Grant Thornton report laid it out. So there you have Michal Martin standing up for Ryan Tuberty mm. and Kevin Backer saying, um, you know, it's a moral, I had a moral case. This is not about morals. This is about business. Yeah. And also like the thing about it is, is that RTE have been under massive financial pressure for a long time. Has money been misspent? I think we clearly can see that. And I think Kevin Backhurst has said that himself. And like, I kind of feel like you've got to give the man a chance to do Mm. the work. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not sure it's fair to like people who just stop, who just, I I think that there are a lot of people who are like, well, I'm not paying my TV license. Like it's an opportunistic thing as opposed to like a principled thing. Like, and I think at the end of the day, the people who suffer when you don't pay your TV license, the people who consume the content and the people who work for the organizations who are not at fault. We need to remember like, some of the staff in our tier paid as little as 24,000 exactly. a year. And loads, loads and loads and loads and loads and loads and loads of people there are not on big wages. And, you know, a recruitment freeze, this is not the first time there's been a recruitment freeze in Orti. This is, you know, there have been several of them over the last mm. 20 years. And there are lots of people whose careers have stalled as a result of that. And now they're back in the same situation again through no fault of their own. So, yeah. you know, look. It's a mess, Louise. Nobody likes paying bills, but I don't think that this is a good reason to not pay your TV license personally. That's my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. Okay, next up, there was an earthquake in Morocco. This is horrific. Yeah. So most people, I think if anyone's been to Morocco, this is probably the part of Morocco they've been to. It's a yeah. huge tourist destination. It's near the Atlas Mountains. So there was a huge earthquake um, and rescue efforts uh, were into their fourth day yesterday. There are thousands of people unaccounted for, trapped under their homes, and a lot of them are in like the more remote part of the mountains. Mm. So there's little hamlets and villages um, and they'd had helicopters and rescue teams out trying to find the people um, and the wounded under the rubble. But as we know from other disasters, the more time that passes, the less chance they have of finding people alive. So the number of dead, now this has obviously changed, but the number of dead um, yesterday was around 3,000. That's definitely more today with over 5,000 wounded. And there are questions about the state's response. So Morocco has a king 
which I only found out this week, mm. he is a king. He is kept very, very private. No one seems to really know anything about him, but he was in France and he flew home to chair a disaster management meeting with the cabinet, but he has not addressed the public. Um, apparently this isn't that strange because he is a very um, private person, mm. but he he arrived in Marrakesh, uh, which is the closest city. He visited a hospital, um, but there has been a lot of discontent about how the state has responded because this isn't their first earthquake either um so there's a lot of aid going out from like international um organizations and you can donate i think it's mostly red cross that people are doing now i've seen a lot of that on instagram stuff in the last couple of days mm. but um a lot of people i know even noticed from my own social media were saying that you know, Morocco's like one of the best places they've ever visited. Like the people are meant to be so lovely and so warm. And this is a real tourist area. Mm. The tourist areas weren't as badly affected than like the mountainous regions. But, you know, the bazaars and stuff that people would have visited in Marrakesh have all been um, basically destroyed. Yeah, it's awful. Um, Okay, uh, now this story, like when you say it, it just sounds so appallingly bad. Electric picnic tents... For refugees, says this headline from the journal.ie, can only be a short-term measure, Minister says. Yeah, there's something so disconcerting about the brightly coloured tents of electric picnic being used for people fleeing war. So Minister for State for Integration, Joe O'Brien, said that the leftover tents... Now, I don't want people to think these are like camping tents that your smelly friends stayed in. Well, they are camping tents. No, it's the big marquee things. Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. It's not like somebody bought it in like regatta. But they're still tents. Yeah, it's still a tent, but it's not like a two man tent that you no. that Fergus yeah. brought from like Mullingar. Yeah. <laughs> right? So um yeah, the site at Strad Valley, which everyone knows, had the festival two weeks ago and will be used for six weeks, but we have been assured now whether this happens or not, nobody will spend more than three weeks at any one time. But it will, as Joe Brown says, offer security and safety for people. And we're very conscious it has to be a short-term measure. They could not rule out more use of tent accommodation in the future. And so the tents, I'm just looking at the photos here. You remember the tent that I wanted and <laughs> we didn't get? Yeah. <laughs> That's what it is. So it's the pre-patched tents. Yeah. It's not like, as I said, your friend Fergus from Roland Gar brought it and left it there. It's not that. No, but they're still tents. Like, they're teepees. But they're not, though. They're not like super fancy teepees. No, but they're they're glumping tents. Well, yes. But yeah. you're still talking about putting people in tents for, they're yeah, saying, six weeks. Yeah, and I weeks. would just also point out that I know this for a fact. There are... Hotels and centres across Ireland with beds to spare and have had beds to spare for weeks. And because the staff in the department are so overstretched that people are languishing in tents when there are rooms across Ireland ready, because I know this from a very personal (laughs) way that that is the case. And I feel very sorry for the staff. Obviously, mostly feel sorry for the refugees, but I very much feel sorry for the staff in the department because we are now, what, two years under, nearly two years under this crisis and they have not been able to get a handle mm. on this whatsoever. Mm. Um, like their, you know, the, their point, like Roger Gorman, the minister is saying that, like, you know, you have to keep in mind that this is a very small number of people in the grand scheme of things. But like... 
That's so bad. It's so bad. It's so bad that two weeks ago, people were there at a festival and now there are people it's living like there as refugees. The like it's just so jarring. Exactly. It's, it's like so the jarring. Yeah, the juxtaposition totally. of it is upsetting. It's the fact that they're so brightly coloured as well. <laughs> oh, it's <laughs> just so happy. Yeah, it's not great. Um, okay. No, quick- I hate this. I don't want to do the story. Well, you're doing it. Because we have to conclude. We've talked about it a lot and we can't just ignore the ending. And this is the story of Rubiales, Luis Rubiales. Luis Rubiales has refused to apologise to Jenny Hermoso, the footballer who he kissed and then ultimately forced his resignation as the Spanish Football Federation president. He was on... (laughs) I know. He was on with Pierce Morgan Mm -hmm. of Talk TV. The less said, the better. Rubiales said that that the kiss was consensual and went on to suggest that the negative publicity over the affair had been created by spurious arguments and people, including the woman he kissed without her consent. Um, he announced in his resignation statement on Sunday hadn't, he had already been suspended by FIFA pending an investigation and he said to Pierce Morgan, what happened is bad for everyone. I think he is right, but not in the way he thinks it. No. Uh, when we had Jenny lifting me. We had a fleeting kiss, two tenths of a second. But what was created from that is crazy. So what's left for me to defend is my dignity. So it's not about that. And he's talking about the apology. Pierce, it's about humility. Humility. Humility, yeah. There was no harm, no sexual content, no aggression, nothing like that. When, when are men going to realize that sexual assault does not have to be someone jumping out of a hedge? Yeah, like him to say there's no sexual content, there's no aggression. Like he yes, maybe her. I kissed her, but I didn't mean it in that way. It doesn't matter. The, you still did it. She most, still was kissed without her consent. The most poisonous. Ugh. I really believe the most poisonous part of set of rape culture is the notion that if you do it in public or you claim that you didn't mean it the way it happened, or you haven't jumped out of a hedge, that it's not sexual assault. Mm. Most people are like attacked by people they know. Please stop pretending that all this isn't on a sliding scale. Mm. I hate this man. Sorry. So he, um, what? Well, he's resigned. Like this is look the reason that Sorry, I, I wanted just to read do something. It. I did not know this. Ruby Ellis has been widely condemned for his behavior following the final, when he, as well as kissing her. Also, he also grabbed his crotch in celebration. Oh yeah, when standing beside Spain's Queen Letizia and sixteen-year-old Princess yeah, yeah. Infantina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the whole thing. He's he is like such. A, he's ugh. yeah. He's gross. He's disgusting. Anyway, he resigned. And, <laughs> exactly. That's why I wanted to do it just to just to resolve it. He resigned. Are there still problems in terms of equality and um, sexism within the Spanish Football Association? I mean, I would argue probably yes, but um, still this man is gone at long last. Um, He really, he tried it, but he failed. And finally, this is a true good news story. I feel like there should be horns playing like (laughs) da-da-da-da of celebration because at long last, we're all going to get something that we've wanted. We are getting a universal charger. Apple has unveiled its new iPhone lineup with lightning charger ports replaced. We spoke about this ages ago, actually, in my house about how the European bloc are insisting that tech products... And small products and phones all have to have the USB-C charging cables from the end of next year to reduce 
waste. Yeah. Great idea. Me and my ma have two different chargers. It's and so annoying. I know. Um, and then like my ma's charger charges my headphones, but I have to use a different one for my phone and yeah. then a different one for my MacBook. Exactly. I have 700,000 wires yeah. in this house and it's totally unnecessary. So yeah, um, so Apple's vice president uh, said this week that the UB- USB-C has become universally accepted standard. So we're bringing the USB-C to iPhone 15. I will probably get an iPhone 15 in about 12 years if I can afford it. <laughs> um, the re- oh, this is interesting. The release comes as Apple faces declining sales of iPhones with yeah. higher Prices pushing customers to delay switching to new models. Yeah. Also, you drop them, they're done for. You need a good case, Aoife. I do you have a good case now? I kept this, buying Dairy City cases and they weren't very good. Let me tell you, my phone, it has been through it. Mm. Because not only most do people, I drop it, but my yeah, children drop say, it. Most people I know with kids always and have really, really good iPhone cases. Yeah. Oh, 60 quid. Like, I'll spend 60 quid on a case. What? Yeah, because it works. Mine's four euro for H&M. No. See, that's not, that is going to do fuck all for you, Aoife. You need, I get and the case to five ones like, with the highest level of protection. Otterbox, also good. Also, me being like the clumsiest one out of all my friends as well is probably. Oh, well, like not this phone, but the phone I had before. I got the phone and then I ordered the new case. Or I, I think I ordered them both at the same time, but the mm. phone came before the case. Mm. And in the two days in between me getting the phone <laughs> and the case arriving, I had smashed the back of it. So yeah. like, I've learned the hard way. You've got to invest in your they case. Also, Apple have simplified internal components, which means they can be repaired easier. Because mm. like, you know what I think is completely mad? We have an Apple plant here in Ireland. So mm-hmm. I think it's an Athlone, but there's no Apple shops. I know, it's crazy. It's like, so we, annoying that we don't have Belfast. an Apple. Yeah. You have to go to Belfast to go to the Apple shop. The, what? Yeah, because yeah, you they have to, you like go their, to like premium resale. Yes, exactly. They're licensed premises. Yeah. But at the end of the day, they're still not going to do it. It's not a genius no. bar. Like, yeah. It's very annoying. Yeah. Anyway, thank you for the USB C. Finally, at last, it's going to simplify all of our lives. And it's the new paper straw. I wanted to have. No, <laughs> that is annoying. I have very strong feelings about that. Um, but anyway, we don't have time for that today um, because we have to move on, Aoife, to talk to you more <laughs> about your book. <laughs> we'll be back in a moment. Bye. Now, as I mentioned at the start, Aoife Moore is also my guest in the interview section this week. Uh, She and I had a chat about her book, The Long Game Inside Sinn Féin, about why she wrote it in the first place, what she thinks people need to know about Sinn Féin and how she sees things going for them in the future. You don't need to be super into politics to enjoy this chat. In fact, if you're just someone who has a vague interest in Ireland and the way things are going, I think you'll enjoy it. And of course, you already love Aoife. I know that. So I hope you enjoy this. Well, Aoife Moore on Double Duty this week, not only are you uh, bringing us the news, but you are also the guest. That means I've done every bit of this podcast now, apart you, from your bit. It's true, you have. You have. Congratulations. I did the entertainment once, twice. Well. Well, you did it <laughs> to me. <laughs> yeah. And uh, of course, we are here today to discuss your book, which obviously has been flagged many, 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 many times on this podcast, but mm-hmm. it's out. It is a bestseller. It has been yep. really well received, well reviewed all over the place. The Guardian. Mm-hmm. The Guardian. Love to believe it. Yeah. yeah. How has it been? Some days it's unbelievably overwhelming and then I get really paranoid and then other days it's just like a dream come true. Like I had the dairy launch on Tuesday in the gar so at the study hall and Brian Rowan uh, launched the book for me. He was the Northern Ireland security correspondent for the BBC for like 30 years. Mm. Really hero of mine. Um, and 
Yeah, I found out when I was on stage that I had gone straight to number one on the bestsellers list and I was just like, I can't believe this is my life. Mm. But it hasn't been without, you know, I've had four very good reviews, one bad review. Um, I got a name wrong in the book, um, so that's one pointed out. So there's all those wee things. Mm. Um, I don't care about the negative review, honest to God, um, because it just makes the other one so much better. Yeah, I mean, look, you can't please anyone ever. And like writing a book about a political party is always going to be kind of treacherous terrain, isn't it? And, and like, not just, I would say the two most divisive parties when it comes to talking to people about their politics is Sinn Féin and Fine Gael. Mm. You know, even as a journalist, you would know when you write a story, maybe about Leo Varadkar, maybe about Mary Lou McDonald, but you know straight away when you posted that on Twitter, like it was just going to be a free for all. Yeah. So... I am getting it from all sides at the moment. You know, there's people saying that the book doesn't go hard enough on Sinn Féin and then there's the Shinners saying that I'm too hard on them. So I think that means I did okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about background first um, because, of course, you have been accused of being in Sinn Féin's pocket mm-hmm. for years now mm-hmm. um, because of where you're from and because of your family background, right? Yeah. That's fair. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I have always been very upfront and public about the fact that my uncle was br- murdered by the British Army and... That people who know very little about the North then automatically assume that if my family member was killed by the British Army, I must be pro Sinn Féin. But that comes from a real, I would like to say lack of understanding, but it comes from a real willful ignorance mm. about the North. Now, don't get me wrong, a lot of Sinn Féin's base would be people who have been really hurt by the British state, of course. Yeah. But to assume that a journalist um, would spend their life uh, writing stories about bus stops and doing all this groundwork to just go on to politics and cover Sinn Féin in a really nice light is just laughable um and I think maybe knowing people might think oh she maybe she's not a Sinner maybe she's just very good at her job and I have had a few messages from people saying I'm sorry oh have you yeah that's interesting I didn't know that obviously middle-aged men yeah have said I got you wrong and I'm sorry. Yeah. And all I have to say to them is like, listen, no hard feelings, but could you stop being so narrow-minded the next time? Like, yeah. learn a lesson from this now. Yeah. That maybe your bias yeah. is the issue and not mine. So if you're now being accused of being anti <laughs> then how do you roll with that? I mean, the whole point is that I'm supposed to be anti-everyone and yeah. not pro-anyone. That's the whole point of being a political journalist. And I know, like, this is the one thing you can say about me. I am two things. I am a good friend and I am a good journalist. Mm. And I knew all this. And that's why the trolling got to me so badly. Because I used to be like, if there was a kernel of truth in this, then I would see their point. But mm. I knew I know more about Sinn Féin than most people who call me names. Yeah, And that has been proven in the book well yeah um, and uh, <laughs> now you can I mean you've literally written the book so <laughs> I've literally written the book I would say other than the people within Sinn Féin themselves from an outside view I would say I'm probably the person with the most knowledge about Sinn Féin on the island so was that the case or even close to being the case before you started the book no, no. I mean I grew up like I think as well I've always said that people find the notion of a Sinn Féin government really strange in the Republic that, you know, you could have people who are apologists for the IRA and government. But like the first time I met Mark McGuinness was when I was eight and he was the Minister for Education. Mm. So Sinn Féin and government isn't anything strange to me. Yeah. Um, and 
I knew a bit because of my family history and the difference between the North and the South is and there are many, but the difference is we learn about the troubles at school. Yeah. We learn about the Civil Rights Association, like the amount of people in the Republic who've come to me and said, I thought the troubles was because Catholics hated Protestants and Protestants hated Catholics and that's why the troubles started. Mm-hmm. And that's like basic, basic knowledge and like a lot of people don't have it and it's because it's not taught in school. So I had... Probably a better knowledge than most people because not only did I do history and politics for A-level and GCSE, but then I worked in journalism for a long time. So I have family members here in Sinn Féin um, and I grew up in a very kind of Sinn Féin stronghold and the state that I'm from. So I knew quite a bit about them, but um, I definitely learned a lot writing the book. So why did you decide to write this book? I had been for a long time very concerned about the ignorance towards not just Sinn Féin, but the North in general, especially Northern Nationalists. Um, And I had been considering um, writing a book about Mary Lou MacDonald, actually, at the very start. I did see her as she is an enigma and she is probably going to be the first female Taoiseach of Ireland. So I actually wanted to write a book about her and I had been thinking about that for a while. This is long before Shane Ross came along. And then Penguin came to me and said they had, you know, been talking for a long time that they wanted a book about Sinn Féin ahead of the next election. You know, who are they? Where'd they come from? Who's the base? And they said, do you think you could do it? And I said, I think I'd be the best person Mm -hmm. to do it. And so it wasn't technically my idea, but I had always had this feeling that somebody has to write something. Because the other side of it is in like, my other concern is not only do people have a very negative view of Sinn Féin because they're very negative about the North, but on the other side of the coin, there is a romanticisation, I think, now about the Troubles. Mm. At some points, and a romanticisation about the IRA, and it's not from the people who are in the IRA. It's from young people who are not educated enough about the IRA. And, like, I am so sick and tired of middle-class Irish columnists shouting on about up the ra and whether we should all be hurt about up the ra when they're not hurt about up the ra because they don't care about Patsy Gillespie's wife and children. They don't care about child love's family. You know, they want to have an argument about whether Sinn Féin are too powerful. They don't want to have an argument about the victims of the IRA. If they wanted to have an argument about the victims of the IRA last week, the House of Commons passed legislation to say that British soldiers who murdered people and IRA men who murdered people and loyalists who murdered people we're all getting a get-out-of-jail-free card. Mm. There was very little comment about that. Mm. So I don't find that kind of commentary genuine. And I do worry then on the other side of it, as Sinn Féin get more popular, that the victor often gets to write history. Mm. And I would like... There hasn't been a very contemporary book about Sinn Féin that really details their history. Yeah, I suppose because that's the thing. Because on the one hand you know, you're saying, and you're right, that there is an ignorance in the Republic of Ireland about the Troubles and about many elements of our history. Mm. I think that that's fair and true. And certainly from being friends with you, I've learned so much from you. Mm -hmm. Um, And you probably also agree that, you know, there is therefore a question around the romanticization Mm -hmm. of Sinn Féin, the IRA, all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, is what you're saying, you feel like the people who are speaking about it are having the wrong conversation? Yeah, completely. I mean, I'm not worried about Uplara. I'm worried about, you know, grown men and being able to go after a 30-year-old journalist for two years, calling her a shinner. Um, And that 
this type of ignorance is the closer we get to United Ireland and there is no doubt in my mind Leo Varagher is talking about it mm. everyone is talking about it. we are coming closer to United Ireland and the less people know the more divisive it's going to get yeah Northern Ireland still does not have a government Stormont is not sitting and people in the south really don't give a shit about it and that's fine like I don't I, I totally get that people have enough going on their lives without worrying about the north but at the end of the day, I really believe that the national question is going to become front and centre very soon. Mm. And a better education about all that sort of stuff is just going to make it easier. And the other side of it is we're, we're Irish too. Mm. You know, I come from the poorest part of the UK. Young loyalist boys have the worst educational outcomes in the UK. Partition has been a disaster for the people in the north. And it is not fair or right for the Irish government, no matter who is it they are at the time. They say it's nothing to do with us, because it is. We're on your island, whether you like us or not. Well, with that in mind then, and you say you think that Mary Lou MacDonald is going to be the first female Taoiseach mm-hmm. of Ireland, so that means you believe that Sinn Féin are going to come into power. And mm-hmm. reading the book, it, it, it's kind of disconcerting, because the book, obviously the book's job is to look at Sinn Féin and, and figure out all the problems. Mm. And it does that well. And there are serious problems, like, yeah. you know, because... Obviously, the, the big question is always about the IRA and Sinn Féin mm-hmm. and the connection between the two. And what you write indicates that there is still very much a connection between the two. Mm-hmm. And I think that there are lots of young people, and I mean, slap me if I'm wrong, but who are voting for Sinn Féin who probably aren't even really clear on the fact that the IRA still exists. Yeah, and to be honest, my c- concern isn't so much, This is if this is taken out of context, it's going to sound terrible, but... My concern isn't so much oil boys who used to be in the IRA. My concern with Sinn Féin is how much discipline and lack of transparency that this party casts over their membership and representatives and then wants to go on to government. Mm. You know, the ability to tell grown men and grown women that they can't speak to the press without speaking to the press office. You know, I know, like, most people listening to this won't work in politics, but the notion that you would need to speak to your boss before you can make a statement in your job is not something that people in Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil and the Green Party do. Well, even you weren't able to really speak to anyone from Sinn Féin yeah. on the record. Yeah, they sent me a solicitor's letter when, or a solicitor's email. A sol- their solicitor emailed me when I told them I was writing the book and I wanted to speak to members. Um, their one of their press officers gave me um, the nickname of the poison snake. They a lumber TDs blocked my number. Um, I used to see people in the corridor and they'd walk the other direction. Mm. People were afraid to be seen with me, and I know for a fact because someone in Sinn Féin has told me last night that they have people going through the book, reading the book with a view to try and find out who spoke to me. And there will be consequences? And they will be, I would assume, be dis- disciplined or spoken to for talking outside of school. So the controlling aspect of is the Is what worries me the yeah. most. And yeah. that comes through in the book. Yeah. But is that not something that happens in all political parties now? It does. Of course there's a level of discipline, but, well, I don't know, sometimes when you look at Fianna Fáil <laughs> party meetings. But that's normal, you know, po- like, political... Look at Labour, even, in, in the UK. They're a very, you know disjointed group you know there's like different we factions within different parties that's all very normal there are people within Fianna Fáil and I know a lot of people will laugh at this but there are people within Fianna Fáil who are elected TDs who think Fianna Fáil is a centre-left party mm-hmm. <laughs> and like really care about the environment and you know voted for uh, bodily autonomy and all of that 
Whereas within Sinn Féin, you know, even the conversations, and, and this is documented in the book, but even conversations when someone said, do we have to apologise for the IRA? Because young people shouldn't have to apologise for the IRA. And he was very much told that that's not a conversation we're having. Mm. If you support Sinn Féin, then we apologise for everything that happened. We wish it didn't happen, but you're not apologising for IRA crimes. Um, and that's the sort of thing that I would worry about because... Well, as a peace process works, there needs to be a level of transparency and openness and honesty. And if you want to run around and only want people to hear your side of the story, that's not how legacy works. That's mm. not how peace processes work. Mm. And like the other side of it is I don't take the criticism from Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael of Sinn Féin seriously either because they hold up the peace process as the greatest thing that's ever happened on this island, which it is. Mm. And... Then they malign Sinn Féin for having people like Martin Ferris or Desi Ellis as politicians. The point of the peace process was to turn men away from the gun and to politicians. And then they become politicians and they're maligned mm. in Leinster House. There's a real hypocrisy about it. Mm. And then you also have things like saying Sinn Féin need to get back into government in Stormont. But then they won't sit with Sinn Féin in government in Dublin because it's good enough for you up there. But it's not good enough for us down here. Mm. Um, and Sinn Féin, I think could be an incredibly impressive progressive party mm. but I do think they're past and their mentality holds them back yeah because this is the thing that's why you know Sinn Féin was as surprised as anybody else it seems yeah. like in the last election that they did so well but the reason that they did so well it would seem is that there are lots of young people who are politically engaged now mm. who don't feel like they can vote for any other political party yeah and when you look at someone like look at if you just look at say housing spokespeople yeah so you have like Rebecca Moynihan for Labour Party she's a senator so she can't really do anything anyway in terms of like legislation or whatever mm. else um so you've like Rebecca Moynihan then the actual housing minister Dara O'Brien mm. right mm -hmm. then we have I don't even know who the housing spokesperson is for Fianna Fáil I think it's Mary uh Fitzpatrick and then you have Owen O'Brien who's written two books about the housing situation and there's a housing at this stage a housing expert, expert. yeah of course that's who you're going to vote for housing above everything else will haunt Ireland for the next two decades yeah. I am convinced of it yeah. and when you look at the p cast of people that you want in charge of it of course they want Owen O'Brien I, yeah. like, I think you and I would both agree that we would like Owen O'Brien to have it well we want Sinn Féin in government it's a different story but yeah. you would like Owen O'Brien in charge well, of it you want someone who knows what they're doing exactly and um, yeah so that's why young people not only because of Owen O'Brien but Owen O'Brien Pierre Shorty Mary Lou MacDonald like mm -hmm. My ma, for instance, probably would never have voted for a Sinn Féin fronted by Jerry Adams, but she might vote for a Sinn Féin fronted by Mary Lou McDonald. And that's mm. the way most mammies probably felt. You know, Jerry Adams is the most divisive figure in Irish history after Eamon de Valera. So I think getting rid or Jerry Adams standing back was the best thing they ever done. Mary Lou McDonald is incredibly intelligent. She's incredibly warm. She's incredibly approachable. Mm. She's a great politician. Mm. You know, when you see her going over to Australia, that was like the best PR campaign I've ever seen, going over to Australia and telling people, I'm going to go to houses so you can all come home. Yeah. Like Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael can't go over and do that because they've been in government for 10 years. It was complete, like, this is what I mean. At some points, they are such a modern, dynamic, progressive party that you're like, Jesus, this is so impressive. Mm. And then you read all her things in my book about how they conduct themselves and the discipline and, and the money and you're like, 
you're not that far away from the party you were 40 years ago. So what do you think they need to do then? Like if we if we are looking, if we're forecasting that they are going to be in power mm. um, and they're, they have a lot to offer in some regards, mm. but they have these problems, as you say, with See, discipline and control yeah, and money. And but they're hamstrung like as well. They're backed under the corner because, under a corner because like people in the Republic couldn't believe the stuff about Bobby Story's funeral, right? Yeah. Could not believe that not only that it happened, but the two leaders would be For so... For people who don't oh, yeah. know. So during the height of the COVID lockdowns, a really, really well-respected, well-known Republican called Bobby Story, who worked for Sinn Féin for decades, great friend of Jerry Adams, died after um, a short illness. He, um, yeah, absolutely beloved. Even when I was writing the book, I could not find one person with a word to say about Bobby mm. Story. So when he died, there was a huge... Republican procession uh, in West Belfast, which is where Sinn Féin's natural base would be a very Republican Catholic area in Belfast where Jerry Adams and Bobby Story and everybody comes from. There was a huge procession. Uh, Mary Lou McDonald, Michelle O'Neill, Pierce Doherty all travelled it. Uh, all of the senior Sinn Féin figures were there. The streets were lined. It was not COVID compliant. Mm-hmm. It was outside, but it looked terrible. Yeah. Um, they, the newspapers went wild with it every single day for weeks and weeks and weeks. I actually got to the point where I felt quite sorry for Bobby Story's family and children yeah. in the aftermath of it. Um, and people kept saying to me, I can't believe Mary Lou McDonald and Michelle O'Neill are that foolish that they would go to this knowing they would be pictured, knowing they'd be pictured breaking rules mm. and did it anyway. And I have always explained to people that they have to do that because West Belfast is the base they are so hamstrung now because their history their whole mantra for being is republicanism and the republican movement and the republican family is what they call it so they have to play to that base there was no question mary lee mcdonald was going to bobby stories funeral where she had to travel or not yeah i know for a fact because someone on the book told me that they did a risk assessment and they had the conversation and knew they would get shit for it but did it anyway anyway, because you have to play to the base. They have to be true to the Republican principles, especially in the North. Not as much down here, but definitely in the North. So you have to be seen to pay respect to fallen IRA men and women. It has to be done. So now they're kind of backed into this corner because if they move too far, too fast into this socialist left-wing progressive party, they risk losing their more traditional Catholic Republican base but they kind of did that didn't they with mm -hmm. abortion yeah abortion they took a big leap um and it was a more traditional like for instance some of my family members a lot older family members said that they would never vote for Sinn Féin again because they are anti-choice but Sinn Féin took a calculated risk that those voters would be lost to them anyway and it was the younger voters and just from a moral standpoint, a lot of Sinn Féin representatives, including Mary Lou McDonald, Jerry Kelly, Jerry Adams, were all pro-choice anyway. Yeah. So it was probably an easier decision. But they took a risk there. Yeah. But I don't know how that works out because, you know, the hunger strike is where Sinn Féin, as we know it now, comes from, right? Yeah. Some of the people who died on hunger strike had committed really bad crimes. Yeah. Can the Taoiseach go to a hunger strike commemoration? Mm. Now, Mary Lou McDonald said now that she, if she was, she doesn't know. She might go, she might not. That is very conciliatory to me. And that is going to be hard, really hard for a lot of Republican and nationalists to take. That you would become the Taoiseach and you wouldn't, you would then stop. Mm. 
No, I can obviously see both sides of it, yeah. but I'm trying to explain what no, it looks I get to it. I get Republicans. It. And so that's then, why I think Sinn Féin is hamstrung. Yeah. yeah. So does it mean then that it's a matter of time? That yeah. it's a matter of waiting out those older, more traditional people and mm-hmm. just forging forward with the belief that you're going to recruit young voters and you're going to piss some people off along the way? Yeah, I don't know, because like there are, and I do anecdotally believe that younger people especially in the republic are becoming more republican um i think that's just a natural part of peace process and i know it makes people really uncomfortable but that's just the way it is you know i did a lot of research for this book and you know it's quite funny when fina gale used to campaign against fina fall in the 1940s the the posters used to have like a a shadow of a gunman and they'd say this is what the vote for fina fall is it's the same you know like it's just history yeah, yeah repeats itself um Joe Brawley and, and Blind Boy always have the joke about the good IRA and the bad IRA. Mm. So the good IRA was in the 20s and the bad IRA was in the 70s. But that's what happens in peace process. Um, and I wrote the book because I would just like a bit more knowledge and transparency and context out there. Mm. So people can make a more informed decision. I never wrote the book saying I want people to vote for Sinn Féin or I, don't, I want people not to vote yeah. for Sinn Féin. We just I, want people to know the story. And I just want people to vote. Yeah. Well, the book is out now. It is a bestseller, as we mentioned. You probably already have it if you listen to this podcast, but just in case you don't, <laughs> it's The Long Game Inside Sinn Féin. It is really clear like you will fully understand all the moving parts if you read this book, which I think is important to mention to people who might not often read political Unlike books. Unlike our friend Cassie, who read that people were interned and she thought it meant like junior IRA who were interns. Yeah. Oh, Cassie. God love her. She should never have said that out loud. That's the real <laughs> issue. She should, have, should have kept that one in the brain. You know what I mean? Not everything needs to leave the noggin. Poor Cassie. Um, well, Aoife more. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Yeah. 
Now it's time to talk celebs. They are at it again. They are never not at it. And I was delighted to have James O'Hagan from LGBT Ireland with me this week. We got straight into it. James O'Hagan, LGBTQ plus activist. We've just spent the last five minutes talking about what's going on in Cork. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, absolutely raging. Cork people deserve a gay bar that meets their needs. Cork queers need a gay bar. I know. I feel like if we all, maybe if we all just did a whip around. Absolutely. Sure, look, we'll send the basket round in the George next Sunday night and we'll just see what we raise. Yeah, I'm into that. (laughs) I'm totally up for contributing. Um, Okay, uh, so Cork is happening We'll cover that elsewhere, uh, but we are here to talk about the stories of popular culture this week. And there is a lot going on, and we're going to start with Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis, who have really done themselves... No favours. No. No favours. Uh, my corner of of of, um, of TikTok is always kind of like, you know, analysis of, of like pure communication. So this has been like filling my For You page for the entirety of the last week. Mm. It feels like it is the only thing that, that has been happening. But so... For those who haven't heard, um, Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis decided in their infinite wisdom uh, that it would be a good idea to send letters seeking leniency in the sentencing for their That 70 Show co-star Danny Masterson. And now, if you're not familiar with all that, that case has been rumbling on in the background since about 2017, where I think initially five women came forward to allege that he had um, sexually assaulted and raped them at his Los Angeles home. They say that the Church of Scientology had done it's utmost to allegedly prevent them from moving forward with these uh, with these these allegations and, and with these with these with finding justice for what had happened to mm-hmm. them and after um, 2017 is what like six years ago seven years ago God knows after a, a, a long and torturous journey for justice finally back in May uh, Danny Maston was convicted on two counts of uh, on two counts of rape and his conviction or his he was he was getting char- he was getting convicted he was g- getting handed down his his, uh, sentence. his sentence, sentencing was what I was looking for. He's getting handed in a sentencing this week and he's now been sentenced to 30 years to life, which is an excellent thing. And given the fact that an infinitesimally small number of sexual assault and rape, case, rape um, cases actually make it as far as a trial, yeah. let alone a conviction, yeah. this is a hugely momentous moment for victims of sexual assault to be able to stand up and say, look, justice can be served. Yeah, and these were, I mean, like, all rapes and sexual assaults are awful, but like the victim impact statements from these people oh, are harrowing. Awful. Like, harrowing absolutely harrowing. horrible. And to have, I suppose, like in addition to, to having been drugged and been sexually assaulted, to then have an enormous, allegedly have an enormous institution uh, like the Church of Scientology kind of interfering to try and uh, undermine your credibility. And this is now, I suppose, what Mila Kunis and Ashton Kutcher, they wrote these letters to the judges along with a load of other people. Billy Baldwin was ill there. Uh, Kitty and Red from that 70s show as well uh, to try to seek lean and trying to speak to the character of this individual whose character we know very well as someone who would rape multiple women. Yeah. Uh, so the letters actually said that Kuna said that she would wholeheartedly vouch for Masterson's exceptional character and Ashton Kutcher said that he was a role model, a positive influence and among the few people that he would trust to be alone with his son and daughter. Now they've come out since in what has been called an acknology because there was no real apology. Yeah. It was more just an acknowledgement <laughs> of all of our discomfort with it. Uh, and they have said that they were just asked by his parents to represent the person that they knew for 25 years so the judge could take that into full consideration relative to sentencing and Mila Kunis said that the letters were not written to question the legitimacy of the judicial system or the validity of the jury's ruling and that they support victims. Now I'm going to say that 
these character reference, if you're talking about, I would leave this person with my children, I trust them, they're a role mm-hmm. model, that can only but undermine the 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 victim's testimonies because it, yeah, it is how can you say you would oh you would they're one of one, few people you would trust with your children when they've just been convicted of absolutely rape and, and it's like assaults. you know of course we can we can assume that this sort of celebrity is not going to rape a celebrity you know like like Mila Kunis was in no danger of Danny Maston it was vulnerable women sort of lower down the Hollywood food chain who he was who he was going to be a danger to so of course you're not going to feel endangered by him realize and check your own privilege yeah <laughs> and I mean it, this has blown up in so many ways. So first of all, I suppose what it's like the Iggy Azalea, Iggy Azalea Tor- Tori Lana's case a couple of weeks ago, it has shown this sort of like dark underbelly of people submitting these character um, assessments for people convicted of these kind of heinous crimes without really realising that they will become public or yeah. with a sort of a certainty that they won't become public, which I think is sinister because, you know, if you're going to say something, if you're going to stand up and talk to someone who's been convicted of an awful crime, you need to be willing to do it in public. Yeah. It can't be that you're just like, I'm handing you off this letter to go behind the, to, to go behind the, you know, behind the, in the judge's robes room. Yeah. Judge Judy will take it off to the back and have a read of it and it's never going to come out. People need to know that you're willing to do this, particularly Ashton Kutcher. If you own or are the founder of an organisation that has been set up to defend the victims of child sex trafficking in yeah. this torn company that he established with, um, with, uh, with, with Demi Moore. But it is, I, I suppose it's just it really brought them back into the limelight. I think that they were sort of a very, they weren't a couple you really ever saw. No. And like, it's brought them back into the limelight in this like really questionable way. Clips have been coming up of, of Ashton Kutcher on Punked where he was talking about like, oh, I can't wait for for uh, Hillary, Hillary Duff to turn 18 and the Olsen twins, which is creepy. There's a whole these connections being made back to this murder that happened 22 years ago. Everyone from from um, Christina Ricci to Kathy Griffin to the sexual violence yeah. centre in Cork have come out to sort of say this is absolutely abhorrent. We see that they and 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 also high, highlighted is his relationship with Mila because yes. when they were on that 70s show, she was fourteen, he was nineteen, and there's all this kind of backstage footage that looks creepy. But I think one thing to remember when we look retrospectively at that kind of stuff and at the clips from Bunked and all the rest is that that kind of chat was totally acceptable uh, yeah. at that time. Like this is the the culture that I grew up in. Yeah, you know where that was the way that women were spoken about. I mean, there was this. Is it the son who had the countdown to Charlotte Church's 18th birthday? Like, yeah. you know, that's how that's how women were spoken about at that time. I'm not saying that they're not still, but it's mostly behind closed doors now. That that is the thing. It's moved into a much more kind of behind closed. People realize now that you can't do these things publicly because you are right. Like I re- remember when there was like a website, literally a website set up that had. I mean, when there was only about four websites in the world yeah. one of them was <laughs> devoted to a countdown to when the Olsen twins were turning 18 yeah. and it's like that is so creepy and weird because like you know if you think about what that means and what that it's like oh and you'll be allowed to fantasize about them soon like it is so gross it's so gross <laughs> it's so gross but I think you know when when I saw those punked clips I'm like yeah but nobody batted an eyelid at that at the time it, completely because it was yeah. acceptable and everyone you know they were all at it and to be fair I'm pretty confident I would have been laughing along to that when I was watching it and not even like had the awareness to understand yeah, me how neither. close it was. Me neither. I don't think so. I don't think I would have. Um but yeah, it's 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 like it's almost like it's a relic of uh what was previously acceptable and 
you know, unfortunately, you do have to suffer the consequences when you support rapists. I mean, that's yeah. it. No, absolutely. Okay, let's move on. We didn't get to talk about this last week because I was so sick I couldn't do a, a podcast. Um, but I just really wanted to talk about Sophie Turner and Joe Jonas um, because it has been so interesting to watch the fallout from the end of this relationship. It really has. As I said, I am like a, I'm like a, a pure assessment junkie on TikTok. There's a, there's a brilliant expert called Molly McPherson. I'm I sure follow a lot her, of yeah. people follow. <laughs> She's brilliant. She is so good at breaking things down. Like we were talking about the, the Ashton Amila thing. She does like a great breakdown on that and she has been really good at like explaining what fundamentally the issue is here for I would say for Joe Jonas which Mm -hmm. is that the public know when they're being lied to and can see spin a mile off and therefore they are not going to take it and I suppose what has happened here is that that uh, Sophie Turner has essentially kind of benefited from just saying silent their relationship again like this is Game of Thrones Sophie Turner and Camp Rock's Joe Jonas Uh, they've been together for seven years married for four they have two children and up until I would say now have been incredibly private about their relationship and to all intents and purposes on social media very cute together speak incredibly lovingly about each other in Mm. all sorts of uh, in all sorts of uh, interviews that they've done Uh, it really feels as if at the the heart of the the privacy in the relationship comes Sophie Turner she has spoken about being a homebody spoken very very spoken as publicly as she's done about uh, as she does about her want to have a sort of a private life and to, to to be very passionate about her career but her private life is something that that belongs to her yeah. they got married in 2019 in a really low-key ceremony which when you compare that to the the Chopra Jonas sort of fantasy yeah. uh, of the the year prior to that is really shows the difference between these two couples so they've spoken an awful lot about that want for privacy and that want to kind of you know their, their love for each other but it was about two weeks ago at this point where TMZ on the 3rd of 3rd of September I think it was started reporting this sort of like we think that they are we, we believe that they're going to be they're, they're breaking up and three days later it was confirmed and it's all gone chaotic from there mm. it is all gone chaotic from then so they put out this like weird statement that sounded tortured and like it had been written by three or four people the statement was after four wonderful years of marriage we have mutually decided to amicably end our marriage there are many speculative narratives as to why but truly this is a united decision and we sincerely hope that everyone can respect our wishes for the privacy of us and our children Mm. and since then there has been anything but the sort of uh, the want from privacy from what appears to Jonah's side he has been sort of spreading stories about how she likes to party and he likes to stay at home which is categorically untrue if you Stories have been appearing all Stories of a sudden. Stories have been appearing, yeah. Stories have I, been I, appearing <laughs> <laughs> about Sophie Turner being a party animal and that's why the marriage is ending, even though the supporting evidence isn't there because, you know, during the pandemic when she was interviewed, she said, I'm actually loving the pandemic because I love to be at home and it's actually Joe who I, I find hard to kind of pin down and I'm getting, this is my dream scenario. Yes. And now he's trying to say that they should, because she's much younger than him, that she's exactly. this like party animal. Or that's, it, those are the stories that is, are appearing. Yeah. And there's this sort of mis- misogynistic tone to things because like yeah. because she is much younger that she would obviously be sort of like outsider and he's trying to cast himself as this sort of like super father or he, his PR team or whoever yeah, yeah. sorry I should I should I should <laughs> I, I, I used allegedly every time I said Church of Scientology I should be allegedly everything 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 yeah but yeah so uh, there was stories around how he is pretty much all the time taking care of the children mm-hmm. uh, while the evidence was suggests he's currently on like a worldwide multi-date tour so obviously that 
that like at least in essence is not true and he's been photographed having lunch with his two daughters in what looks like an incredibly staged kind of paparazzi setup and so people are just really understanding this to be a spin effort from the Jonas side Mm. and Sophie Turner has remained like absolutely silent throughout all of it and Mm. it has only won her more favours and more fans and I think it's completely backfired on the Jonas side. Yeah, people seem to be just so fiercely loyal to her. And I and look, I mean, I think there's a loyalty to her anyway, because people who watch Game of Thrones, I'm not one of those people, but like, you know, they watched her grow up essentially. Yeah. And she was a much loved character on that show. And um, she also is very cool. Like, uh, we don't see a lot of her, but yeah. what we do see is cool. We see her and Maisie, who played yeah, Arya Stark, Arya. like having the crack and like messing. And she just seems fun. And I think women are just not willing women in particular are just not willing to have this idea of of other women being painted as bad mothers anymore like that's not something that a lot of us are willing to take and if someone's kind of suggesting that we're going to be extremely like you know Mm -hmm. careful and judicious about whether or not we believe that and anytime someone's parenting starts to be taken into question which is essentially what's happening via these stories i think all of our alarm bells go off and we go "Uh -uh, no we're not gonna accept this completely because i do remember was last week there was lots of stories coming up about how she had been like in the uk and not seen her children a long time and on all of this information getting out there people do start to question because you're right there's so much affection for her and also she is effortlessly cool and just like just seems incredibly just seems incredibly together in the way that she sort of comes across in interviews and and of course Mm. I mean I am one of those people who absolutely adored her on Game of Thrones Mm. you know the sort of like harrowing storylines before Sansa Stark (laughs) was Mm. put through would make you eternally love Sophie Turner but yeah it, it does feel like people are just seeing this for what it is now and it's it's getting harder and harder for publicists to be able to maybe position stories in a particular way and in reality they had been a very private couple who had come off as loving each other. They had been together for seven years. That is a long and successful relationship. They have two beautiful children out of it that I'm sure they both love dearly. So any animosity or bitterness over the end of this relationship, they really, like, whoever it is that's responsible for it really should just take a step back and understand that just because a relationship ends doesn't mean it's a failure. And it also doesn't mean there has to be a bad guy. Exactly. Like, it could just why be can't that... it just be that this relationship ran its natural course? Yeah. Now, there was some weird story about how, <laughs> how Joe Jonas had heard her say something on the ring doorbell. Yeah. And I was like, what even is this story? Yeah. Like, are, are you are you making me, you made to make me feel sorry for Joe Jonas because he's spying on his wife through their doorbell? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I hadn't even thought about that. That in itself is like questionable. <laughs> anyway, basically we're team Sophie forever. Absolutely. hundred um, percent. Okay, this next story impacts you personally, James. (laughs) Have you ever seen an angel? Have you ever seen an angel? (laughs) I have yet to see an angel, but I know that you saw one. Oh my God, yes. So the glorious Christina Hendricks, absolutely phenomenally beautiful, is in Dublin uh, or or around Dublin to do a Chris O'Dowd television show, but we don't care about that. What we care about (laughs) is that last Friday or Saturday, I can't remember what day it was, I was sitting in the Big Romance, shout out to the Big Romance, excellent pub, uh, (laughs) and having a few pints with my friend Ashling, and in walked this radiant goddess Mm -hmm. of a woman, this beautiful sort of strawberry blonde hair, the the, the ivory skin, absolutely gorgeous, and I was like, oh my God, that, that is, that's Christina Hendricks. And no one else seemed to care. So I texted the one person I knew who I could rely on to care, which was you. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd be like, Christina Hendricks is here and nobody cares. 
I was glad. I was so glad to receive that message. How thrilling. I was jealous. Uh, she is She is so beautiful um, in, in real life. She was there with her husband. They had one pint and then they left. Um, mm. I probably, because I was gawking at them, I went to, <laughs> went to the toilet about seven times to sort of pass by the table. Um, I think if I'd been about two pints further on, I probably would have just like gone and be like, I love Joan from Mad Men. Where, where is The Big Romance? So The Big Romance is... Uh, off Parnell Street. Yes, okay, that's yeah, what I thought. Beside, yeah. I can't, it's beside one of the Lewis stops. I can yes. never remember where no, it is. No, yeah. I'm with you. I've been there. I just couldn't immediately yeah, place yeah. it geographically. I wonder are they staying somewhere around there or maybe they were just having a wander through town. Now, I know you don't care, but just maybe some people will care. So a little bit about the television <laughs> yeah. program. She's so here. <laughs> she is here to, she is here to, to film a, a Sky series yeah. with Chris O'Dowd, who many people remember from Bridesmaids or from Moon Boy or just from being a nice guy from Offaly that everyone everyone likes. Um, and, the the show itself is going to be around an American production company coming to rural Ireland to film a uh, to, to to film something, and you can I suppose expect it'll have Ross that. Common. He's not from Ross, Ross Lee. That's, that's, I knew oh. as he said it, I was like, we're going to get in trouble there. That's. <laughs> I apologise to the people yeah, of Ross Common. Boyle, I, Boyle I, County Ross Common. I apologise to the people of Ross Common. Um, <laughs> it, it was it was entirely my own my own fault. But you did vote against marriage equality, so hey, <laughs> starting lots of good people in Ross Common. Okay, I'm not. Sorry, I do apologise. James, you're going to start some sort of culture war now via my podcast. I can't believe I'm getting cancelled. Anyway, <laughs> most important thing to note about this particular story is that the um, the the cast and crew are all being represented through Equity in the UK. So no one participating in the filming is sort of uh, covered through the strikes that are, or the, the, the unions that are currently striking in the, the US so I think that's, yeah. that's good to know that there's solidarity there as well but I think it sounds like it'll be a fun show yeah, I think it it'll be camp and funny yeah because the idea is it's like a, a Hollywood production yeah. comes to a small town in Ireland yeah, which, exactly. which happens I mean uh, yeah. that's and the I thing that, that happens I here think, can I, can I, I think it was it a couple of years ago when we had the um, when we had the, the Star Wars people all filming mm, here over on the West Coast very exciting and there was a lot of those kind of like culture kind of clash moments yeah. Yeah. of like sort of Mark Hamill having a few pints in a local pub exactly so yeah I'm looking forward to that and I think Chris O'Day like I actually only recently started re-watching Moon Boy and it's remember so how good. charming it is it's so, so good I'm excited to see him fronting something I think it'll be yeah. really good and he is by all accounts a really lovely man he, he sent is. me a very nice tweet after I had said um, oh for I was like are we friends did I <laughs> I guess you're did now. I miss the bit where we became friends but like thanks um, it was so nice um, I know now I didn't ask you to prepare this story um, so I'm, but I'm going to throw it at you just because we mentioned the strikes there what is Drew Barrymore doing I don't know like it feels like she literally has not put a foot wrong and then she decides to jump two feet into something yeah. that can only back for so for people who don't know obviously there is the strikes are happening and Drew Barrymore obviously absolutely adored has a quite successful and slightly bizarre talk show um, and so her, her talk show would obviously be impacted by the strike because yeah. the, the writers who work on it aren't working and she has said that she's going to bring the show back in order to support the other people who work on the show and that she'll do the writing herself um, but everyone is really pissed off about it. I can't imagine that even the people who are being brought back would be particularly pleased about that. Like, that is really the first case of someone crossing a picket line. And, like, you know, Drew Barrymore, prior to being a talk show host, obviously, first and foremost, is an, an, actor. an actress. Yeah. And, uh, and, 
and that is like at the very center of like what what this is all about so it's very surprising because she seems to be someone who understands the mood in the room very well but this is so tone deaf it's so strange and she's like I mean already she is no longer hosting the National Book Awards organizers said in a statement the National Book Awards is an evening dedicated to celebrating the power of literature and the incomparable contributions of writers to our culture in light of the announcement that the Drew Barrymore show will resume production the National Book Foundation has rescinded Ms. Barrymore's invitation to host the 74th National Book Awards ceremony like this is not going to go well for her I don't understand it no I mean hopefully she gets a short sharp shock with the reaction to this and decides that she is going to to step back and the thing about it the thing about it is of course is that you're if you're very concerned about the financial well-being of all the people Mm. working on your show who are probably not paid very well when you are an incredibly wealthy and successful you probably could give them a bit of cash. You could yeah. continue paying them. Well, that's them what everybody's saying. Pay- yeah, you can pay your people. Exactly. But she says, I own that. This is in her statement. I own this choice. We are in compliance with not discussing or promoting film and television that is struck off any kind. We launched live in a global pandemic. Our show was built for sensitive times and has only functioned through what the real world is going through in real time. I want to be there to provide what writers do so well, which is a way to bring us together to help us make sense of the human experience. I hope for a resolve to for everyone as soon as possible we have negotiated difficult times since we first came on air and so we take a step forward to season four blah 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 like sorry likening the pandemic to this strike is a bizarre move it's so out of the vast majority of the people who watch your talk show are not affected by the strike it's not like a huge cultural thing that we're all going through together that we need you to kind of carry us through through. yeah absolutely so strange no it's very much like oh the people need entertainment i'm going to give it to them also it is it, it sort of speaks to her perhaps we could say speaks to maybe an attitude that she has towards writers if she assumes that she can just step in and do that job yeah I mean I think it's going to be very interesting (laughs) to watch and see how it goes it is also interesting that um, so obviously her co-host on the show is Ross Matthews who many people would know as as one of the regular judges on RuPaul's Drag Race and he has made the decision to go back as well so I'm curious to see how the fandom reacts to that Mm. choice as well because you know it's very interesting um and and will have you would think long-term repercussions because like she regularly interviews actors and and stuff on that show and surely they're not going to be jumping at the bit those are that book uh that book awards is not going to be the first invitation rescinded i can pretty much guarantee you um so very quickly the late late show is coming back tomorrow night uh friday night it could be tonight as you're listening yes. uh, patrick keelty's first I outing think that the, i i am very excited for this i feel like as if i i was chatting to you the week that he was announced or, or like in, in one of the build-up weeks and we were kind of really like excited for him to take over i think he has a very different style and voice to mm-hmm. any of the previous hosts i think he has sort of a charm and a charisma that's more akin to the likes of the the kind of the late night hosts in America, like your sort of mm-hmm. Stephen Colbert, it's like he has that humor and comedy as well. So I think it'll be very interesting to see what they do or how they shake up the the the, the format. The format. Yeah, I was wondering will they introduce like a monologue at the beginning, which might be an interesting thing to do. But yeah, so everyone is talking about first of all what the ratings are going to be, and second of all who the guests are going to be. And I think they need to come out swimming. They're swinging. What we're swimming. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all underwater. It's all underwater. That's, that is it. That's it's the a, new move. <laughs> <laughs> but so we have a lot of a lot of speculation as to who could be coming up names Dermot Kennedy Ashling B James Emma Jim Roy. essentially 
any Irish person with a, a, an Irish passport and an IMDb page is being discussed yeah. as like being on the the premiere episode. So we'll we'll know um, this evening yeah. who who that is who that's going to be. And I really do hope that it goes extremely well because I'm I I am I am a fan of of Patrick Kielty and I think he could be Me a too. really he could bring something really different, new and exciting to to this sort of format that's been going for like 61 years yeah. or 64 years, whatever. It's like, it's so, yeah, the 61st season. So this is, this is like an institution. Yeah. And I think he's he's the right man for the job. I know. I just realized I organized to have some pints tomorrow night and I'm like, oh, that was probably a mistake. I'm going to go home and watch the late, late. Yeah. I'm I'm going to a friend's wedding tomorrow night and I'm like. Rude of Yeah, them, absolutely. How, how did she not know? How did she not know? I'll see if they can get them to stick it on in the yeah. corner. Me and the, me and the L ones will be at the back watching the late, late. It wouldn't be a bad thing to stick on actually on the player the next morning for yourself. <laughs> that is true. When you're yeah. feeling a little. I was sort of thinking about is the late, late one of those things you record and watch after. And I think it could be. On this occasion, yeah. I think it might be, yeah. 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 Um, and then very briefly, because obviously I shoved in a Drew Barrymore story there um, unexpectedly. Ariana, oh my God, Ariana Grande. For a moment, <laughs> I was like, Debose? No. <laughs> Ariana Grande um, has, well, she, she was just making a video and she talked about her experience with Botox and filler. And I actually find it quite moving. Full transparency as a beauty person. Had a ton of lip filler over the years. And... Botox, I stopped in 2018 because I just felt so too much. I just felt like hiding, you know? Didn't expect to get emotional. <laughs> for a long time, beauty was about hiding for me. And now I feel like maybe it's not. Since I stopped getting fillers and Botox and maybe I'll start again one day, I don't know, to each their own, whatever makes you feel beautiful, I do support. But I know for me, I was just like, oh, I want to see my well-earned cry lines and smile lines. I hope my smile lines get deeper and deeper and I laugh more and more and I just think aging is like such a, it can be such a beautiful thing. It's in, she seems to have been on on a bit of a, a journey yes. this year because she obviously asked earlier in the year that that her fans would stop body shaming her, comparing her current body to the unhealthiest version of her body. And then she spoke very movingly this time about the fact that she had used filler and Botox as something to hide behind. And for a long time, beauty was about hiding herself. Mm. But she had stopped in 2018 to see the well-earned cry lines and smile lines and said that aging is such a beautiful thing. And I think... It, it, that is fantastic to see mm. someone coming into that realization. Like you know, she's thirty. Thirty. She's thirty. So like you know, those smile lines and cry lines. I can tell you from ten years later on, they get deeper. Yeah. <laughs> and in fairness to her, she said, "Like, look, I might, you know, I might do it again, but for now, uh, she's not." And I mean, look, if she stopped this five years ago and she's thirty, that means at twenty-five, she was already. Yeah. Had used, she says in her words, a ton of lip filler and Botox and everything else. So, like, I think it's it's good. I think it's good that she's talking about it. Yeah. It's great in terms of her being a role model for people because, you know, whatever about a bit of maintenance. Um, like I, I spoke to a a very successful um like Harley Street dermatologist who does all the treatments that you can think of. But he's like, 
I am never trying to change anyone's face. Yeah. I'm only trying to help someone maintain what they have. Yeah. And, you know, our face does lose volume as we get older and all the rest. And, like, I think that that's just a healthier way of looking at things rather than trying to actually alter what you what your face actually is and kind of create a new one. And if you're 25 and you're getting filler and you're, you you know, that's what's happening really. It's also a mirror into, I suppose, the the toxicity of, I suppose, well, the world that we're all living in where someone who is as like objectively beautiful as Ariana Grande could find herself in a mind space where she is looking in the mirror and seeing changes that she needs to make. And I mean, like that is, that is a universal truth. Like I don't think that there is a single person on the planet who looks into the mirror and doesn't like automatically go to the things that they don't like yeah. or the flaws that they they don't have but it is it's it, 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 it's it's things like this it's people like ariana grande speaking out about this and actually like speaking positively about aging and speaking yeah. positively about the changes that happen yeah and acknowledging that like yeah i'm going to maybe you know do some maintenance or i'm going to make some changes but it's going to be about keeping me happy but i i don't want to change myself i think that's really important yeah and it's an important conversation to have and look i mean everybody has their insecurities as you said and i fully respect everyone's right to do with their flesh vessel whatever they yeah. want like it's your body it's your face do what you want and um, but it would be great if if we just didn't have to feel so shit about ourselves that we felt the need to create entirely new faces. Um, yes. And that's, we can thank our culture for that. But Absolutely. Um, when someone like this speaks out, I think it, it does have a positive impact. Well, James, as usual, we've gone way over time, and um, but I have <laughs> wholly enjoyed it. Absolutely. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, people can come over and they can have a look at me and my boyfriend on my Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> at James underscore O'Hagan the, um, on Instagram. Uh, or you can go if you want to, to have a look at the work that I do and what I'm involved in, go to LGBT Ireland's uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you want to go and just see some of the work we're doing and getting involved in. And come along and and support us. Yes, please do. Thanks, James. Well, it is just about time for me to go. But before I do, thank you so much for joining me this week. I do have a couple of recommendations for you. They're not going to blow your mind. Um, One is The Morning Show is back. The morning show is like up there with and just like that for me in that I kind of objectively know it's terrible, but I can't stop watching it for some reason. And I'm delighted it's back. It's on Apple TV Plus. It is, of course, Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon. And yeah, I just will keep watching it for as long as they make episodes. It's just, it's who I am. It's what I stand for. I can't help myself. And then obviously my recommendation for a book this week is Eva Moore's The Long Game Inside Sinn Féin. It's out now. Also, if you haven't gotten your hands on the latest Ashling book, I highly recommend that you get that too. Of course, it is the final installment of the oh my god what a complete Ashling series it's called Ashling Ever After and it is available now it's so good it's such a nice warm hug of a book and um, I really recommend you get your hands on it so there you go and um, that's it from me I will talk to you next week we'll be back with a normal episode god willing <laughs> as long as I'm not stricken down by some other sort of plague um I hope you have a great week but of course as we have recently learned they cannot all be good so if you don't have a good one don't worry about it just put one foot in front of the other we will be together next friday
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.